like she physically says he made like we made love and i'm like did y'all fuck in a gazebo in the gazebo (laughs) (laughs) here's the thing we thought that handshake was like, ah, oh, yes, now we are equals. And then they and then fuck they in, the fucked in the gazebo. <laughs> Five, six, seven, eight. There's no business like show business. Mamma mia, here I go again. My Oh, also, I forgot to show. <gasps> you didn't tell me it arrived. I wanted to show you in person. It only got here like two Yay! days ago. It's so good. Oh, it's a good I'm mug. Glad it's you a like good it. size. It's yeah, like hefty good. and like fits the hand. Well, happy birthday. Thanks. For a physical thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> for anyone who's actually listening to this, this is a mug that says freak in the sheets and it's an Excel spreadsheet, which is very Grace <laughs> mentioned it on our last one or two episodes ago, and I literally ordered it while we were <laughs> while talking, we were talking about, about it. it. <laughs> yeah, I was like, where can... <clears throat> Shipping to New Zealand? Great. Set. <sighs> this was an interesting one. Yeah. Um, I understand the criticism around this movie of it just being a rewrite of The Gay Divorcee. <laughs> you know what? You said it. Yep. You, or I'd rather critics said it. Yeah, not I know. I'm not the first one to say it, and I won't be the last. Yeah. Did I have a good time? For the most yeah. part. Yeah. I got. I want to know if you can pick out when I like fully dropped the plot, when I was fully just like, and I don't care. <laughs> and I picked it back up. But there was a point halfway through where Grace was like, I have this much longer. And I was like, cool, I'm at this point and I don't care. <laughs> uh, I know. It's somewhere in Venice. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's like somewhere whole, in Venice. It's the whole Venice um, sequence, honestly. Uh, I actually don't think it was in Venice when I dropped really? interest. Okay. Anyway, we'll get there. Welcome back to the podcast. Yeah. Welcome to Five, Six, Seven, Eight, a movie musical podcast. The podcast where we review and recap movie musicals, and we are going back in time this week to 1935. Yes, 1935. Hey, hey, for the Fred Astaire, hell yeah, Ginger Rogers, hell yeah, hell yeah. Top Hat, yes, Irving Berlin, yeah, hell yeah. Uh, started off really strong with the RKO radio tower on top of the world, which always gives me just like, oh, the Titanic has sunk. (laughs) Breaking news. Breaking news. Um, Yeah. And so this is uh, fully black and white. This is uh, one of the most famous of the Fred Astaire, Ginger Roger movies. Um, It was Mm -hmm. the first one that was written exclusively for them. And I'll talk more about that later. But she, and it follows closely on the heels of the gay divorce. Head. Yes, which was I think nineteen thirty four. Yeah, so like truly so on truly, the heels, same director. They were like, yes, and this movie. Oh, that worked. Great. Do it Multiply. again. <laughs> Do it again. Times two. Um, this time in Venice. <laughs> <laughs> um, I. You did you see the fun? I'm, I can cut this. Yeah. Uh, did you see the fun fact that said like the guy who played uh, Bedini's impression of an italian was so offensive that this movie was banned in italy no i forgot to look at fun facts so that is so i actually just clicked over to the fun facts and that is the first one at the top of the list it's so so funny funny to me no i have the same thing happened with gay divorcee which i think we talked about but it's been a minute um no my my fun fact which i'll talk about (laughs) later is about the feathers the ostrich feathers good 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 
Okay. We don't start in Italy. No. We start in London, London, London outside town. the Thackeray Club, which is a gentleman's club, but not in that way. It's a quiet club. It is a place for white older men to come and read the newspapers in silence. <laughs> and that's the whole bit is that you have to be quiet while you're there. Yeah. So, so it's these like old men. a waiter like accidentally clinks a glass and everyone's like, <gasps> and everyone's just, <gasps> yeah. Um, and there's. Fred Astaire, Fred Astaire sitting by the fire with his own newspaper, newspaper. and he accidentally ca- yeah he's clearly bored he coughs and everyone like <clears throat> stares at him newspapers are loud yeah. that's just the whole thing yeah. but his colleague Mr. Horace Hardwick yes. arrives and we learn that Fred Astaire's character's name is Jerry Travers mm-hmm. he's an American is Hardwick English? yes he's I think he's supposed okay. to be British uh, yeah <laughs> he's supposed to be yeah. Hardwick arrives he's uh, J- and Jerry I'm just gonna call them by their first yeah, names for the rest of easy. the film uh, yeah Jerry has been waiting for Horace mm-hmm. for all evening yeah. Horace is a th- he is a brand new theater producer he is producing his first show Sweet and Jerry theater. is the American star in it yes. they go back to Horace's hotel mm-hmm. And Horace is very, very stressed. Jerry is a bit of a star, mm-hmm. and he really wants this premiere t- tomorrow night to go well, mm-hmm. and he wants to avoid scandal as much as possible. Yes. Um, so And then tap dance is used to be a menace to society. Yeah, so Hardwick, or, uh, Horace grabs Jerry to like lead him out of the quiet room, but then Jerry's just like, fuck all of these old people, and just like tap dances real fast, and they all like... Oh, 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 oh. Um, <laughs> I see several have heart attacks. Great. <laughs> um, so they go end up going back to Horace's um, hotel, and there's a whole thing of uh, Horace revealing that he's currently fighting with his valet, his valet, his butler, his butler, his butler Bates. Um, Bates over ties. They, have, they had a tiff. The yeah. the relationship between Horace and Bates is reminiscent to me of the director and his assistant in The Producers. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right? Like, if you think of that along with everything that happens, you're like, oh, they're the same people. Oh, yeah. And they're definitely together. <laughs> like, I know that Horace <laughs> is married and that's a whole deal that comes later, but they're definitely, like, okay. t- they're together. <laughs> um, but they're They make her like an old married couple. Absolutely. So they are, they're having a tiff and so they're not speaking to each other. Um, Horace also mm-hmm. reveals that his wife um, will not be there for opening night because she's currently in Italy and she wants him, Horace, and Jerry to come to Italy to visit and meet a friend of hers for the weekend for the weekend yes now Jerry hears this and is like I'm not really interested in going to Italy I'm not really interested in whatever setup your wife is currently trying to do because like matchmaking, this matchmaking yeah. thing I'm no strings don't want to be tied down and we get our first song which is and that's when I wrote Okay, I wrote, I had a typo. I wrote, oh, hell yeah, it's an actual musical. But what I actually wrote was, oh, hell yeah, oh, hell yeah, it's an actual musician. Because <laughs> my, my brain went somewhere else. But yeah, this is a true blue it's musical, true blue which musical. I'm not going to lie. When I saw the description yes. that he was an actor, I was mm-hmm. like, fuck, it's, it's going to be another, another, like, 
only exists within the context of a show. Yeah. Yeah. It's not. And it's not. It's a true musical. So he starts to sing the song No Strings, just about how he just likes, you know, chatting with people and talking with people and flirting with people, but only with no strings. Um, yeah. classic bachelor he's an independent man. boy yeah that, that's the word bachelor bachelor boy <laughs> and then tap dances once more he just can't help himself and he starts dancing around this hotel and room and it's so funny because he starts dancing and as as happens every time I see someone dance like tap dancing specifically in a place that is multiple floors I'm always like oh man who's below them but lo and behold they actually address this because the person who is in the room below them is Ginger Rogers is Ginger Rogers <laughs> and I got she is so rudely happy awakened. because that's never normally addressed <laughs> they actually use it as a plot device and don't just conveniently ignore the fact that he is causing a major inconvenience to someone (laughs) so lo and behold ginger rogers was asleep and has been rudely awoken by this man's tap dancing yes and she her name is dale tremont i do love she calls the hotel i don't know i love the name dale for a woman and she calls the manager and be like what the fuck is going on upstairs in the room above me and the manager goes oh that's mr hardwick's room and so the the manager then calls up to Horace's room Mm -hmm. and Horace goes down to speak to the manager, but Dale decides she's not going to wait for the manager to fix this problem because this tap dancing has continued (laughs) and she goes up to, she goes up a flight Mm -hmm. of stairs and she knocks on the door Mm -hmm. of Horace's suite because the room is registered. Oh, that was another thing. The room is registered under Horace because he doesn't even want like reporters or people to know know that Jerry Jerry is in town. Again, they don't want to know where he's staying, avoid the scandal, but she knocks on the door and Jerry answers Mm -hmm. and he immediately falls in love just immediately head over heels to be fair ginger rogers is stupidly attractive (laughs) like she's so 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 stunning he invites her in she says you've been disturbing me (laughs) um and he tells her like he's a big old dummy where he's just like oh i'm I'm so sorry i just have this affliction in which condition condition where i just break out and dance sometimes and the only way that i'm i can be stopped is if someone holds me like if someone puts their arms around around me me. oh no i feel another attack coming i know and so she just goes okay and then just leaves leaves (laughs) she has a lot of really good witty one-liners um, which I didn't write down many she, of them, but there's a few that are really good. Now, she has gone out into the hallway and Jerry has followed her. Yes. And that is when they part. Jerry and Dale have this conversation mm-hmm. out in the hallway. They part ways. She goes back down the stairs. Horace comes out of the elevator being like, the manager, like, you need to stop tap dancing. You are a menace. Yes. And Jerry says, okay, that's fine. Here, hold this. And he grabs the large ashtray the public ashtray from the hallway it's just like he takes it into their sand which let me tell you that shit is heavy that shit is heavy and it is nasty yeah and he takes it into the hotel room and he sprinkles it all over the floor like it's dream dust and he tap dances over it so that he doesn't really make the tappity tap noises like or you could just stop sir you could just you could take your shoes off. I was, just, I was so disgusted by this. <laughs> I was like, sir, you are a menace. Or, <laughs> hear me out, hear me out, hear me out. Or. Crazy thought. Crazy thought. 
you just shut the fuck up. No, and even Horace is like, please don't do this to my nice hotel room. But they, like, have a whole bit where it's, like, the sand sprinkle, and she falls asleep to the sound of muffled tapping, and and, uh, Horace also falls asleep, and then Jerry gets tired, and he falls asleep, and it's a whole thing. Um, Oh. Anyway. Maybe it was... Being poisoned by the carcinogens they brought into their room. Truly. Anyway, cut to the next day. Jerry has gone to a flower shop and bought I think it's like all the flower flowers shop in the hotel. Somehow. In the hotel, yeah, I think so. Or like next door, but he he buys all the flowers in the flower shop to send up to Dale's room, including something that he charges it. Ordered by another customer. It is chaos that is to a- me. That that place was like that oh, they sold this it. Thing that we made, not even that it was bought by someone else. That we made for someone else specifically to order for an opening of something else. Fuck them, I guess. I'll just give it to you. Yeah. I was like, how does that? We but- can make another one, I guess. Anyway. Okay, so Jerry charges this purchase mm-hmm. to Horace. Horace's room, yes. so it's going to come under the name Horace Hardwick, and Jerry doesn't say like from Jerry. Jerry writes like from your silent ardent admirer, admirer. silent admirer on the card. Yeah. Once Jerry leaves, the florist comments to the shop girl saying Mr. Bedini has some competition, mm. and we learn that there's a man named Bedini, Al- Alberto mm-hmm. Bedini, who has been sending Dale flowers every single day I... and other nice things, implying that he She's is like a kept woman or something. Yeah. I love a lore dump through gossip. It's one of my favorite ways to find things out is hearing characters gossip. Do you want to know a fun fact about this scene? Absolutely. You want to know who plays the flower shop girl? Who? Lucille Ball. (gasps) Stop. That was her? (gasps) That was her. Apparently. Apparently. I discovered that afterwards and I did not go back to verify. So uh, the internet might be wrong. But that's okay. (laughs) Oh, that's a good fun Uncredited. fact. Uncredited. That is yeah. That is a fun fact. Then <laughs> Jerry finds Dale in the lobby and just physically accosts her with jokes. Physically, yeah, just harasses her with banter. Um, and she is dressed in a riding outfit. So she is going to go uh, horseback riding at like a club or something. And he offers to yeah. like drive her there. But she's like, no, I have white a cab. White people shit. Um, white people shit, yes. We also learn that she has is planning to check out of the hotel tonight. Yes. They're planning to leave. They're planning to leave tonight. We don't know where, but, but then someone. this man. Then this man, in big phantom energy, um, decides <laughs> to take over as a driver on the carriage that she's in. Um, and You're right. It is exactly it's phantom. It's the exact <laughs> same thing as phantom. <laughs> so... Eric decides so funny. a little less menacing, st- le- still a little bit menacing, but definitely. You just less. called him Eric, yeah. it's Jerry. No, I know. I called him Eric on purpose. Okay, Eric. Okay. This- <laughs> Jerry Eric decides to take over this carriage and drive her to the uh, the horse the place. horseback riding horse stable, factory school um, thing and. Horse factory. <laughs> I don't know, man. No, no. <laughs> Where they make the horses, um, and. So, and she kind of realizes halfway through, so he's putting on an accent and, like, being sassy, and and then he starts tapping on the little footboard that the driver has. The foot pedals, has, And she's like, this motherfucker, and, like, opens it up and actually (laughs) looks up and sees his face. And then he says peekaboo, which I hated. He says peekaboo. I hated that. I hated that. that. Um, And then... 
they get to the horse place. Yeah, despite him not knowing how to stop how to a horse. to stop a horse. The horse is just like, the I, horse I know. led the way. I know where I'm going. I know where I need to go. Um, so then she goes riding and a thunderstorm yeah, The wind happens. picks up and it looks like it's about to storm. Yeah. It starts to pour and she seeks cover under like a gazebo bandstand. We love and a says, gazebo. Fuck the horse. <laughs> but she says, fuck the horse. And she ties it to a tree in the in rain. The rain. Um, anyway, she gets into the, I, I first called it a gazebo. It is a bandstand. Yes. And I know that because they referenced it in the dramaturgy I was reading yeah. later, but I fully wrote it was a gazebo. Yes. We love a gazebo. We love a gazebo. And Jerry conveniently pulls up still in his cabbie outfit, yeah. still with his horse-drawn carriage cab with an umbrella. And he goes to rescue her from the rain. This She's is- like, I don't need your help. This is one of my favorite lines of hers, where he was just like, "Ma'am, can I? Might I offer a sa- like? Might I offer to save you?" And she's like, "No, thanks. I'd rather be in distress." And I did enjoy that line. <laughs> but she, her, um, her tough girl act falls apart when she reveals unintentionally that she is afraid of thunder. Yeah. And Jerry then dis- uses. He mansplains thunder to her first. Incorrectly. And then, <laughs> um, and then he uses lightning and thunder as a metaphor for human attraction yeah. and starts to sing the song, Isn't This a Lovely Day? Parenthetical, to be caught in the rain. Yes. And it starts off with him singing to her. Then she gets a little warmer towards him yeah. and they get up to dance. It's not a partner dance in that they never put their arms around each bit. other until the end. Yeah, until the end. So, yes. But it's kind of... Yeah. It's, they start separate, like kind of It's kind of, kind of like a tease and like a, a testing each yeah. other kind of deal because he dances and then she keeps up with him. And he's like, yeah. oh, you just did the same thing I did. Well, what if I do this? Mm-hmm. And then she does her, her, her own version of Anything it. Anything you can do, uh, I can do better. Yeah. Um, better. Um, absolutely. Sorry. Same The energy. reason I paused is because I had been singing, Anything you can do, I can do. Bleeding. Um, <laughs> from. Wow. Uh, Great. What? No, it's like. Women will do anything. No, I know, while but we're while we're on our period, yeah, okay. no, I get, yeah, while I we're get it. I just, you got the joke, okay? But it just like took you me just back. <laughs> anyway, this is a fun it, yeah. song and dance, and he falls more in it's love. It's almost and all she, one take, and it's she falls great. in love with him a bit as well. And they like, all, they're like almost touching each other, and they're like partner dancing without actually touching and then out of nowhere he fully just sweeps her up in his arms and they like wildly swing around this bandstand and it is quite Mm -hmm. adorable um i mean them dancing together is famous for a reason their partnering is truly something special um and i loved that at the end they shook hands yeah it was just like a it was very much a it kind of feels like a hey i feel like i've just actually met you after dancing with you now i know who you are kind of deal um so we cut back to the hotel hang on i have a little bit of a dramaturgical note about this dance the dance is unique in that she's still in her riding clothes yeah so she has a very masculine silhouette as well Mm -hmm. and it further implies the spirit of equality yes. betwixt them as dance partners in this number and the fact that they end on a handshake very much implying like, I see you. Yeah. You, cut, you kept up. You held your own. 
I like well, I respect it's, you. It's and, part like, of the yeah. fun as well because it's like he starts the dance with like his suit jacket open and like his hands in the pocket, and so she kind of does the same thing with her riding yeah. like jacket and hands in the pocket, and so it really is like a fully equal partnership. It feels like which you don't often yeah. get in dances in the thirties. No, cut. Back to the hotel. Mm-hmm. Dale gets back to the hotel she room, and now she has floating. hearts in her eyes. Yeah, I could have danced is, all night energy. Yeah, and she's like, and Bedini is there, yes. and they have an agreement. They're not romantically involved right now. Yes. They have a business agreement, but she's like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying here. I want to see that guy again. Yes. And Bedini's like, whoa, 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 wait. No, we have a business have agreement. Bedini is a women's, we is a fashion designer. Yes, for dresses. And he says, no, we have an agreement. You wear my dresses and then you hang out with your smart friends, like uh-huh. your socialite friends. And when they're like, oh, cool, who made that dress? You can say, it's a Bedini. It's Bedini. So yeah. they're, yeah, they're, he's using her for that. Yes. And it's revealed that Dale is who Horace's wife is waiting for in Italy. Yes. She is the mystery woman that Madge Horace's wife mm-hmm. wants to set Jerry up with. Yes. And but Dale doesn't Dale's like, I don't want to go to Italy now. I want to no, hang out with this cool guy this I just guy. met. And she does reveal also that they never actually like introduced each other to each other. No. So she doesn't know his name. Dummies. She called Dummies she ends up calling very him Adam. first thing. So dumb. Yeah, and like a uh, and like a whole I like Adam and Eve Adam kind of deal. Yeah. Dale gets a telegram, mm. in the, and it's from Madge, yes. and she says, hey, my husband Horace is uh, going to come meet you at the hotel. Yeah. And Dale's like, all right, cool. I'm still not going to Italy. Yeah. And she starts to unpack. Yes. And here <sighs> begins the plot device, essentially. Twelfth night. So, here we go. <laughs> honestly, Twelfth Night has more going on than that. Twelfth Night at least has a B plot. Yeah, no, I know. This is the whole thing. Okay. Dale goes down to the lobby. Yes. She is dressed for dinner and she is planning to meet Horace. And she asks the concierge, oh, is Mr. Hardwick here? Yes. And he and the concierge goes, oh, he's up there on the upper balcony. He's the and one with the, with with the, the briefcase. With the briefcase. Yes. And across the, the lobby, we see both Jerry and Horace coming down the hallway mm-hmm. Horace has a briefcase. They are both like dressed in their suits. And through a Jerry mentions to Horace that, oh, the box office called and there's something wrong with the tickets. And Horace, again, immediately like wants this show to Panics. go well. Yeah. That night, I guess. I think so. That night or tomorrow, or tomorrow night? night? I guess it's that night. Yeah. It's the day of the show, maybe. Um, is like, what? Take my briefcase. I'm gonna go to the theater right now. And yeah. he runs off. So the conceit is. Dale looks across the lobby at whom the concierge was pointing at, who was pointing at Horace. The concierge did his job. Yes. But from behind the chandelier comes Jerry, sans Horace, with, with the briefcase. briefcase. And Dale says, oh, oh my no. God, that's Horace. Yeah. My hu- my friend's husband Is the who, one just who just flirted with me all over a garden. Yeah, absolutely. Through a gazebo. In a gazebo. That my best, my friend's husband is a two-timer and I almost fell for him too. Yep. Jerry, unbeknownst to all this, sees Dale, goes up to her. She, well, she first sees him and they make eyes at each other and she books it for the elevator. Yeah. She goes hard past. Yeah. Jerry goes up to her being like, hey, good to see you again. Fancy meeting you here. And she slaps him across the face. Hell yeah. And it's 
great. It's a good slap. It was, that, that slap took me aback. I was not expecting well, that. Because that was a real slap. She actually slapped him across the face. You can kind of tell. Yeah. <laughs> and he drops all his things. And, and, and she gets in the like elevator in and of, a, of like a, a person who works for the hotel. And it's very alarming. Yes. Yes. And continuing that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Horace and Jerry are in Horace's hotel room. And yes. Horace is like, why the fuck did this girl slap you? Horace doesn't know it was Dale. Yeah. Horace is like, why, why, who is going, why are you getting slapped? We can't afford any bad press for this show. And Jerry's like, I don't know, but I want her to slap me again. Do it again. (laughs) And then cut to Dale's hotel room. She is there with Bedini. And the hotel manager and someone from the concierge is there as well. And they're like, we just want to know why you slapped that guy. Like, we need to be worried. Like, we don't want scandal for the hotel. And she's like, don't. Don't worry, Don't worry about, about this it. This is so dumb. And, yeah. and I, wrote, I wrote the quote. She goes, I hate men. Looks at Bedini. I hate you. I hate all men. And Bedini goes, I am no man. I am Bedini. <laughs> and then Bedini... Oh, threatens just, murder? Um, but also... Oh, I will kill him for you. Right, because Bedini has this saying, which is, for a woman, a kiss... For a, a man, kiss. the for sword. A man, the sword. Wild. This motherfucker brought fencing. Yeah. Um, what are they called? Epes? Yeah, epe blades. Yeah. Uh, one thing, and I wasn't sure if I totally just misread what it was, but it sounds like Dale says that she slept with him. He, she says he made love to me. Yeah. And I have to and think Bedini that says, either of oh, two things he happened. He already ate the apple. Oh, but oh, okay. And I know that so there's like there's a bunch of two... like weird Adam and Eve imagery bullshit. Yeah. But like she physically says he made like we made love. And I'm like, did y'all fuck in a gazebo? In the gazebo? <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing. We thought that handshake was like, ah, oh, yes, now we are equals. And then they, and then they in the fucked gazebo. in the gazebo. <laughs> or that turn of phrase in 1935 maybe does not mean what it means now. Maybe. I don't know the answer. Or <laughs> I think she danced with this man are... and was like, "Yes, please." Here's the thing, and here is a propriety question. This is pre-Hayes code, yeah. I want to say. She is an unmarried woman in whatever fucking time period this is set in. Mm-hmm. Would she be admitting oh, no, to this having is after sex the Hayes code? Hayes Code was 34 to 68. Oh, so this is like fresh Hayes Code. Mm, Beginning. My question is, would she admit to Bedini Mm. that she as an unmarried woman had sex out of wedlock? I don't know. I don't know what, like, what that would say about her reputation. I don't know, like, what would have been socially acceptable at the time. I'm not a historian. I just like musicals. (laughs) I don't know. I think that if they actually fucked in the gazebo, that is very out of character for this oh, yeah. kind no, no, no. of film. That's why I was so, I think so it is shocked that... when she said we made love. And I was like, whoa, back Excuse up. Me? You did done what now? In public? In, In a, a gazebo? gazebo? <laughs> That's why I think it I doesn't mean what it means fully today. fully alarmed. <laughs> I, I, I heard it. I registered it and I said, surely not. <laughs> I did. I was just like... I think that means something I, else. That I think that must mean you... something else because the idea that these two fucked you, in a gazebo. We were... <laughs> the horses were watching. <laughs> the horses were there. 
No, I. Who? Okay. No, I I have to think surely. that it just means that like they made to this amorous thing affections. Is surely not. Surely not. <laughs> anyway. Oh, I love that. That's become a bit in my life. Surely not. Surely not. All right. So the management shows up with Dale to figure out what happened, and then they go upstairs to talk to Horace, um, because Horace and Jerry, Horace yeah. and Jerry, to see what and happened. H- now Horace like does a big old like looks out the door and sees it's the management and says, "Jerry, go hide in the bathroom because he doesn't want any scandal." Um, and so he opens yeah. the door, and just then Bates also arrives, and he sort of instructs Bates to take responsibility and say that Bates was the one that Dale slapped, and it was just a Bates was the one that got slapped, and it's because he was improper yes. in the moment. And the management's like, "Okay, fine, sure? weird, but fine. Yeah, as long don't, as it doesn't have happen, happen again." again. Yeah. yeah, and and Horace is like, "Don't worry, I will, I will manage the the uh, admonishment of of my man." Um, yes. So and then Bates and Bates and Horace almost reconcile and then get into an argument about yeah. hornets. Yeah, but um, oh. Horace gives Bates the task. He's yes. like that woman that slapped Jerry. Follow her. Yes. I want to know everything about her. I want to have, again, being a good producer, mm-hmm. wanting to avoid as much scandal as possible. Yes. Um, now I will say there is something that we missed in the scene with Alberto, which is Bedini. Um, and yeah. Dale, where Dale is like, I'm just going to go home to America because uh, I don't oh, yeah. I don't want to go to Italy to face my friend knowing that her husband, husband just flirted and like, with me and we fucked, fucked me in a, a gazebo. Um, and so, and Bedini is like, no, 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 no. Like, we have to go. You don't have to tell her. Or maybe you do have to tell her. And she's like, no, you know what? Actually, mm. you're right. She is my friend. I should go and tell her what happened so that she can have yeah. an informed decision of what she wants to do. So they, yeah, so they agree, agree to go to, to Italy, go to Italy the next day. Um, so Jerry uh, decides after his that, whole, evening. that evening, Jerry decides to um, figure out what happened and why she slapped him and goes down to her room. But she has already left and he sees all of the flowers that he sent being thrown away. Just like getting thrown in maids. the trash. It's heartbreaking. And then downstairs. Just then Horace is like, we have to go do oh the show. And downstairs, there's so much that happens, it was hard to take notes. Um, downstairs, Dale and Bedini get into a cab and head off to the airport. And just then, um, Bates, who's been instructed to follow her, goes downstairs, gets in a cab, and says my favorite thing ever that you can say to a cab driver, which is, follow that cab! Follow that cab! Car. Oh, follow that car and follow that car incredible um so then I, he follows them to italy so then we cut to opening night then bates gets an italian vacation Hell yeah. cut to opening night cut to the act break horace is over the moon the critics are raving the all the men from the thackeray club are there and are having a great having time a good time uh and jerry is just kind of bummed yeah. he was like oh i don't like this sucks like i i miss that girl and Horace gets a telegram, he reads it aloud, and through this telegram, it is revealed that Madge's friend, the girl that she wants to set Jerry up with, mm-hmm. is Dale Tremont. And she's so just Jerry's going like, to Italy oh, now. So, uh, after the show, we're going to Italy, and Horace is like, what? I thought we can't. No, the show's going so well, we have to, we have to stay. Yeah. And Jerry's like, if you want me to keep doing the show, we're going to Italy as soon as the show is over. Yeah. Then Act 2 begins, and we get... The classic, uh, uh, it, which is the opener of Act Two, yep. we get the classic Irving Berlin song, Top Hat, White Tie, and Tails. Mm. I have 
I got beef. I have... That was me grabbing the microphone. Okay, <laughs> it's not beef. It's not beef. It is simply a hippodrome conundrum. Ah, yes. Which is... How big... Do I does Hollywood I think don't does ho- how big does no. think Hollywood think stages are? The fact that at the audience level there were then stairs below behind, absolutely not, absolutely not. I, this is some hippodrome bullshit. I don't know how big Hollywood thinks Broadway shows are. I don't know. I would love. If Broadway had the budget for what Hollywood thinks Broadway, Broadway theaters are. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Whatever. I had the biggest smile on my face during this entire number, even when Fred Astaire pretended to shoot the ensemble yeah, with his cane. that was a thing that happened. I didn't like it. I didn't like that bit. Not useful and didn't make any sense. Anyway, but his tap dancing was stunning. Great. Um, How dare I have notes truly. on his tap dancing. Cut to Italy. To Venice. Cut to... Lido, which is an island in the Venice mm-hmm. chain. Yeah, Bates has followed Dale to to Italy, <laughs> and stupid. there are in this establishing shot of Venice. Do people swim in the canals in Venice? I, dear God, I I no. didn't think so, but they were in this movie. <laughs> it's truly alarming. So um, Dale Dale finds Madge. finds Madge and reveals that <laughs> Horace flirted with her, chased her, and caught her. And fucked and her, in, fucked a her in a gazebo. And Madge is like, good for him. I didn't think he had it in him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's not worried. She says Horace flirts with every girl yeah. he meets. And he won't remember you. Don't worry about it. Regardless of whether they actually fucked in a gazebo. Dale... So it says exactly what you said, where it's like, he sent me flowers, he chased me around the park, and he caught me. Yeah. Implying, like, we had a big, sweeping romantic dance. And yes. again, Madge is like, oh, good for him. He actually caught you? I'm impressed. Wow. Uh, Horace and Jerry fly to Italy. Yes. And Horace tells Jerry, he was like, hey, you got competition with Dale. Yeah. Uh, this Bedini guy has been sending her flowers every day, yeah. and, which... Jerry already knows, actually. I don't know why that's said. But then Horace admits to Jerry that he himself has had a bit of a side piece. Yep. He met this girl in the zoo, and he forgot himself and let her kiss him. Yes. Her name is Violet. Her name is Violet. What? Uh, So he very much is just like, I just just don't want Madge to know. Cut back to... Madge and uh, Dale. Madge ends ends up saying that the real reason that she asked Dale to come was that she wanted to convince Dale that she needed to get married. Great. Just then, the plane arrives. Apparently, it's a seaplane, and they land on the water. Yes. And Dale and Madge go to meet the boat, and they see Jerry come off first, and Dale says hard pass yeah. and she runs away yes. this is a theme yeah. she runs away jerry goes oh hi imag and then um goes after dale yes um now bedini horace comes off of he yeah. Madge is like oh where's horace and he's like i left him struggling with the bags so horace finally gets off the plane with the bags and bedini who has who dale has told what ha- like told him what happened and only knows the name Horace um, Hardwick, yeah. ends up finding Horace Hardwick and threatens him, being like, oh, you're mm-hmm. Horace. You're the one that I was told about. Um, if I ever see I you again, about. I yeah. will murder you. 
Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's that's a thing that happens. Uh, so then Madge and Horace meet up, and there's like there's so much miscommunication, y'all. No one says what they mean. Um, I, where there's like is... a miscommunication <sighs> where Madge thinks Horace is talking about Dale, and Horace thinks Madge is, Madge has learned about Violet, who's the Violet. actual girl. So anyway, he flees in panic and goes to like yes. clean up after the flight. Then. Dale sets Jerry up for a trap. Yeah. So Horace runs to his room and, well, so I think Madge straight up asks Horace about Dale and Horace says, oh, I've never actually met her. And Madge is like, huh, lying. Cool. Um, Interesting. Interesting. So Horace runs to his room and tells Jerry that Madge knows about Violet, which is not true, but that's what he thinks based on the fact that no one uses names. No. Side note, Jerry, so because Madge and Dale are here, they are staying together, which means Jerry and Horace have to stay in a room together. Right. And they're stuck in the bridal suite because the hotel has no other rooms. There's no other rooms. Um, Yes. Now, Madge and Dale are then hanging out, and Madge tells Dale that Horace straight up lied and said that he doesn't know who she is and doesn't remember her. So she decides to get Mm -hmm. a little bit of revenge. So she calls up to Horace's room, and Jerry answers the phone, sort of confirming to her that that is who this is. So she says up that she's going to, she says, I'm going to come up and see you, and he gets very excited. So at this point, Horace is in the bath. And yeah, Horace he and is in the Jerry bathtub. have a little conversation where Horace is like, this woman is like acting bizarrely. Are you sure you've never met her before? Like in like any time in the States? And he's like, no, I haven't met her. Have you met her in Paris? And he's like, I haven't been to Paris since I was 10. So definitely not there. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never been to Moscow. So can't have met her there. Um, and then we get the knock at the door. And so, yes, Jerry also Horace, Horace is like, you back. can't meet with her alone. That's not proper. Yeah. And Jerry's like, I don't fucking care. I don't care. <laughs> I love this woman. Yeah. We fucked in a gazebo. Propriety is out the window. Um, so he goes to open the door and Dale comes in and fully tries to gaslight him. Yeah, she kisses she him, kisses she throws him. herself at him, and she makes up a story about them having actually met in the past yes. in Paris. Yes, last year. Trying to catch him in a lie, mm-hmm. but he just plays along with it. And yes, and she gets over And pretends yes, that and she's she gets another overwhelmed. woman that he met there called Madeline. Yes. He's like, oh, you yes. were going by a different yes. name then. That's why I got confused. And she she gets overwhelmed by her own trap and flees. Yeah, and runs. She leaves and Jerry is just like, I'm so into this woman. (laughs) She is crazy (laughs) and she matches my crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then Horace does come out of the bath. Just, again, just just missing missing Dale. If if Dale had seen Horace, we might have gotten the conundrum of, oh, you're not Horace. You're Horace. Uh, But Horace, having overheard this whole conversation, goes, Jerry, obviously this woman is trying to trap you in something. And he's like, great, I want to be caught. Amazing. (laughs) So Dale goes back downstairs to talk to Madge. And he's like, and she's like, Madge, he like, it didn't, whatever I was planning didn't work. He thought that I was someone else that he met in Paris. I think that your husband is running around on you more than you think. And Madge is just like... Good for him. Uh, Madge could not give a fuck because Madge is Madge. living in Venice on her husband's dime and her husband is somewhere else. And Madge is having a great time. Um, Madge is having a great time. Yes. Okay. Cut to dinner. 
this is a dinner where Madge is going to set up her friend Dale mm-hmm. and her friend Jerry, who haven't met. Right. So Dale is sitting with Madge. Dale's like, oh, I don't really want to be here. She yeah. sees Jerry walk into the dining room. She goes, oh, I definitely don't want to be here. Yeah. He walks over and Madge introduces the two of them and Dale well, says, so oh, you know. Importantly, does not introduce them. Jerry comes oh, over and is like, it's right. so good to see you again. And Madge is like, oh, you guys have already met. So no names are given. No names are given. Right. <sighs> so, and then this whole thing happens where it just sounds like Madge and, 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 Harold literally are setting in like up an her open husband. relationship where she's just like, yeah. I'm just looking for people to keep my husband busy. And it's honestly the funniest concept. Um, and she's just like, Oh, I just want you guys to meet. You know, don't mind me. You two go dance. You kids you have go fun. dance. Like Yeah. And every Dale keeps looking over at Madge, being like, Are you sure? Are you and sure? Madge, Madge is just, just like giving, giving her like up. wings. Because yeah. <laughs> in Madge's mind, she's like, I just set up the perfect love perfect birds. Couple. Like my two young single friends yeah. to Dale. Madge just like threw her husband at her. And there is a moment while they are dancing yeah. that Dale essentially says, Well, you know what? Fuck it. I'm attracted to this guy, and if Madge approves me dancing and, and fucking her husband. With her husband. Yeah. Yes, and sure, I and guess. they dance out of the ballroom, across a bridge, and out into this like open massive piazza open, yeah. by the canals. And we get the song "Dancing Cheek to Cheek," and this she mm-hmm. is in this fantastic. This is the dress. iconic. Yeah, this is my yeah. homework. Obviously, she has this gorgeous, fantastic dress that is just covered in feathers, which I will talk about later because it was very dramatic. The um, fucking, the fucking ostrich, ostrich feathers. feathers. Um, but it's this gorgeous dance number and they're just like spinning around throwing each other around matching step for step and like he the god there's this fantastic spin at the end that ends in like the deepest dip possible and it's just so stunning insane anyway so they end the dance up against a wall together and (gasps) dale up against a wall that's all that's all i was that's all i was um gasping at and uh, dale steps away and out onto like a slightly more private uh balcony, balcony i guess and and she's like hesitant about this whole thing like i don't know how i feel about this and eventually uh jerry full-on just proposes to her and is like i want to marry you mm-hmm. and she is shocked that this guy who she believes is married to her friend, even if they're in an open relationship, wants to divorce wants her friend to marry, and marry her. her. So she slaps yeah. him again. Yeah. <laughs> and she says, How could I have fall how could I have fallen in love with anyone as low as you? Yeah. And she storms off and Jerry just goes, Oh, she loves, she loves me. me. <laughs> we then see Dale packing to leave and yes. Madge is like, What? Why are you leaving? And she's like, You sh- you shouldn't leave. You should find yourself a husband yeah. that you can rely on. And She's like, speaking of husband, yours wants to divorce you to marry me. Yeah. Just then Horace arrives at the girl's suite. And so, and so and Matt- Madge shuts the door so that no one see like Dale and Horace do not see each other. And she full on decks him in the face. Yeah. Cause the next time we see him, he's got a big old black eye. Oh, good. I loved it. I, I loved it too. Team Madge. Cut downstairs, okay. and uh, Bedini is talking to Dale, and he is just thrilled. Yeah, Bedini finds Dale sulking, essentially. He's like, why are you sad? The dress? The dress that I made was a success. Everyone, everyone wants to know where it was from. about it. And yeah. she's sad, and he's like, well, listen, 
I'm hot. I'm rich. Do you want to just marry me? Um, <laughs> why not? I'm. Th- this is the quote. He says, "Why not? I'm rich. I'm pretty." <laughs> That's what I'm saying. He's so silly. Just marry me. And she's like, listen, I'm really upset. But like, if you actually genuinely want to marry me, like my friend tells me that like, I'm supposed to do this and it will be good for me. So fuck it. Yeah. If you want to get married, let's go. Um, Yeah. And they decide to get married right away. And Bates is there and overhears this and follows them. And that's going to come back later. Just then, Jerry's talking to Horace and they're on their way to go back up and talk to Madge and see what's going on. And Jerry convinces Horace to come clean about Violet. Yes. Just then the manager of the hotel comes up being like, hey, you guys are in the bridal suite. Yes. We actually have a couple that just got married and we want to give that to them. Can we put you in another room? And the boys are like, what? Okay, fine. Like sure. We have bigger fish to fry. We're not worried yeah. about that. Sure. Yeah. So, um, Horace and Jerry go to Madge's room. Madge and Dale's room. Just then, Dale calls Madge mm-hmm. on the phone, and we learn that Dale tells Madge that she just got married. Yes. This is when it all is revealed between Jerry, place. Horace, and Madge that Dale has thought Jerry was Horace and vice versa. This or Jerry time. was Horace this entire time. Yes. And he's like, oh, okay. Things make more sense now. So he does the dumbest thing possible. So instead of going to find this woman and being like, hi, there has been a major mistake. Let me explain it to you. He decides to go up to the suite, the the bridal bridal suite suite. that he still has the key for. And Badini walks in. Badini walks in and is like, what the fuck are you doing in my bridal suite? And uh, I have the key. And Jerry's like, huh, shocks, me too. Funny, I also have the key. And so Badini's like, I'm going to go talk to management because you should not be here. So he leaves. Jerry then sneaks. Jerry leaves. To, also leaves. I don't know why he needed like, to via go the there window. in the first place. Goes upstairs I, to the room above the bridal suite, which I thought the bridal suite was normally the penthouse, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, yeah, I thought he went below. No, he went above because he starts. No, he went. He goes above. Yeah. He goes above. He goes above. Dale comes into the bridal suite. Yes, and Bedini gets back as well. Yeah, and management is like, let us know are, if anyone shows up again. There's no one here. Yeah, now, that was like, weird. Yeah. Dale and Bedini embrace and are about to kiss, mm. but then Jerry, having climbed upstairs to the room above, starts, starts to tap dance, mm-hmm. and Dale hears him and goes, this motherfucker. Um, and Bedini sends Bedini up, saying that is upstairs to make him go stop. stop him. Um, but yes. she has a change of heart, knowing that Bedini just grabbed a fucking sword and dipped upstairs. So she calls yeah, like, Madge and is like, "Okay, like, I'm very sorry. My husband's about to my kill husband's your husband. About to kill your husband. Please go save him." So upstairs, Jerry is tap dancing, and he opens the door to let the sound carry down the hall. And whenever he hears someone coming up the stairs, he knows that Bedini is on his way. So he tell he turns to. Horace and is like keep the noise who going. is in the room who's there with him yeah. keep the noise going and then he dips out the window to go down That's the balcony when he goes downstairs and yeah. sneak into the bridal suite with Dale down there Jerry turns to Dale and is like I have to talk to you because there's been yeah a we big have mistake. to talk can we go somewhere else to talk because this 
bridal suite is apparently not an appropriate place for me to just say, hi, my name's Jerry. Um, so they yeah. go elsewhere to do that. Upstairs. Meanwhile, Jerry yeah. has left Horace <laughs> to his death. Vadini arrives. Horace tries to explain, like, what is going on, but Badini's like, you're not going to trick me. No, your you, name you, is Horace. You English motherfucker. Horace is a bad person. To kill Horace. So I'm going to kill you. Just then, Madge And Madge he keeps trying to fight him. Yeah, he keeps trying to... And, and Madge is like, please keep trying to kill yeah, my by husband. By all means, kill my husband. Uh, but but they do loop in... Badini. Badini to the fact that Jerry and Dale have now left. Or so they clue him in being like, hey, no. this has been a big miscommunication. This is not the person yeah. that did this. And he's like, oh, okay, never mind. I don't want to kill you then. And so then they go downstairs. Now, so what has happened yes. is instead of staying in the bridal suite, Jerry and Dale get into a gondola. Uh, and mm-hmm. he sort of explains everything. So everything is revealed. However, Dale is like, I'm married now. Um, but yeah. the person who is driving their gondola is their gondolier. Because he's still doing he's his still job. He's still doing his job. He's still tailing Dale. And so, but then he falls in the water. He falls off and the boat just goes away. So then Bates goes to get... Um, Horace and is like they're drifting out to see we need to go save them and so Madge and Horace and Al and And Bedini Bedini. get into a tiny little motorboat and go to search and find for this gondola that has gone out to sea yeah However, Dale and Jerry were oh absolutely like fine. They like round, I know, they rounded a bend and they like fully get out of their boat They're and like, like walk huh. the boat back yeah, to where they picked back. it up. They're like, it's weird that I have to park my own boat. Yeah. Dale turns to Jerry and she goes, okay, I understand everything that's happened. I'm all caught up. I need to go talk to Bedini. Yes. I need to clue him in as to like what is going, what is going on? on. I have technically married this man. So like. I don't know what yeah. we're going to do. And so we get a cut Bates of... tells... Yeah, we yeah. get a cut of all of the... Of Madge, Horace, and Bedini out at sea in this little thing and they're, looking. And they're like in the cold in the mist and they run out of gas. And their boat runs out of gas. Yeah. They're like, fuck. Back on shore, yes. Bates runs into Jerry once Dale has walked away. Yes. And he goes, oh, everyone's out at sea. And guess what? I updated the gas. <laughs> there ain't no gas in their boat. Like, so Jerry learns, oh, Bedini's not. Murder? His <laughs> Jerry now realizing that, like, Dale's going to talk to Bedini. Bedini's not even here. Yeah. He chases after Dale. Yeah. Then Bates gets arrested because he's impersonating a gondolier. It's not important. Yeah. Cut to Dale and Bedini's wedding reception, yeah. where Bedini's not there because he's lost at sea right now. So Jerry, Jerry and just Dale sits down and they have the wedding dinner. Yeah, yeah, they sit. There's not a lot of people there. They have there's a cake and Jerry cheers as Dale and goes, "Let's eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we have to face him. Yep. Him being Bedini and like we'll face him together. We'll figure. We want to be together. We'll figure it out. I'm with you. I support you. Yes. Um. Then. The carnival starts. Then we get the song, The Piccolino, which um, Dale yeah. starts to sing. And it's it's the same thing as that fucking dance number in Gay Divorcee, in which it is too long. And it's basically just... And unnecessary. And unnecessary. And it's a bunch of people dancing, and it's pretty good. But the highlight, as always, is going to be, like, Fred, Fred and Ginger, Astaire and Ginger Rogers. Dancing together. It just really felt like a phoned-in 
final number. And then here's the thing. It's not even the fucking finale. The the dancing ends. Bedini gets back to shore. Because I got picked up by a local fisherman. (laughs) Yeah. And he's like, I'm going to kill Jerry. But first, I need, I'm cold. I got a cold from being wet. So he goes up to the bridal suite. He is wrapped up in a blanket. Full marshmallow. Dale and Jerry go to the bridal suite yes, and try they to hear talk that to he's Bedini. Back. Um, yeah. They try to talk to Bedini. Downstairs, Horace gets out of the fish boat and is approached by the manager of the hotel saying, hey, your man has been arrested. He would have gone to jail, but I posted bail for him. So he finds Bates and then they all rush to the bridal suite and the final twist is revealed where Bates, who has been following Dale was accidentally was almost discovered by uh, Badini and Dale. And to disguise himself, he's turned around his bow tie. So it looked like he had like a clergyman's collar and he's collar. the one that married them. And because he's not but actually because a he's not actually, it's not a the valid marriage. marriage. Which what means fuck, Jerry y'all? and Dale can be together. So this tells me that both Dale and Badini have face blindness. Yes. And really, Badini got the short end of the stick yes. in this deal. Like, but that's how it ends. And that's the end. And then they dance off Jerry into the sunset. Jerry and Dale dance off, truly dance off into the sunset. I am out of breath and irritated. Honestly, <laughs> this happens every time with older movies where it's just very languid and leisurely for the first hour. And then the last 20 minutes, they're just like, we got to jam in a lot of plot. We got to wrap this <laughs> Wrap up. it up. Wrap it up. <laughs> See, I disagree a lot because the misunderstanding happens so early on and continued for so long. Like, there was a point, they were still in London where I was like, Jesus fucking Christ, how long is this misunderstanding going to go? It's truly until the end of the the film. The whole movie. Grace, what do you think of this movie? I did enjoy this movie. Um, but as I said, she says with a gun to her head. Yeah, I say reading the prompt from my kidnapper. Um, and <laughs> um, no, is your kidnapper Irving Berlin? <laughs> like... Surprise! Um, he's back and he with a vengeance. <laughs> um, I did enjoy this movie. It did feel very much a copy paste and change the font of um. Gay divorcee. Gay divorcee. So I feel like if I had seen this one first, I might have enjoyed it more because I had less that I hated about this one than I did about Gay Divorcee. Because Gay Divorcee, I hated mm. the car chase so much it threw me off. Yeah. And so I feel like if I had seen this first, I would have I would have just been like, oh hell yeah. Like this is silly, like, but everything everyone's like it doesn't feel like he's like harassing a person. Like he's still harassing a person, but it's not nearly as bad. Um I feel like I would have liked this movie more if I had seen it before Gay Divorcee, but it just really just felt like the same plot. What's funny is I clearly didn't like Gay Divorcee enough because I forgot everything <laughs> about it other than the car chase. Yeah. So I did not remember any similarities because there's it not has an the same actor. The guy who plays Horace is also in the Gay Divorcee in pretty much the exact same role. Oh yeah, and also I think the guy that plays Benetti is this is also in the Gay Divorcee because there he is plays Tanetti. Is he also so. Tanetti? Stop. Hold on. I think he One is. One moment, please. Because That's suddenly very important for me to know. Eric Rhodes. Eric Rhodes. 
Yeah. Yes, he fucking was. Guys, this is the same goddamn movie. I Well, here's the thing. That's why Gay Divorcee was also <laughs> banned in Italy God, because so his funny. his um depiction of Tanetti was so offensive to the Italian government. Much to Mussolini's displeasure as I read his Wikipedia page. Ah! Incredible. Not just not just the Italian government. Mussolini. Oh my god. But yeah, they're the same film. I just clearly didn't remember or like The Gay Divorcee enough to remember the plot. If I have to compare them, having just briefly reread the plot synopsis for Gay Divorcee, Mm. I agree with you. I liked this better. I liked the... I thought the dancing was better integrated into the plot of this. And I'm going to get into reviews and reception later, but I agree with the reviews were just like the plot's weak yeah but hey they're fun to look at while they dance yeah, pretty much yeah agreed shall we do a little dramaturgy yeah mm, dramaturgy report dramaturgy report all right so not only was this the exact same film but of gay divorcee it had the same director and cinematographer so i'm gonna and writer go through these <laughs> really yeah, right to copy paste mm-hmm. i think the problem is the writer copy, paste, <laughs> the font. But directed by mark sandrich an american film director writer and producer uh started in shorts did some uncredited second camera work on flying down to rio mm-hmm. which was a fred astaire ginger rogers musical from 1933 mm-hmm. the very next year he was given the job of directing the gay divorcee yeah. which proved to be such a tremendous success that the studio was like great another yes. one smash. smash and that gave us <laughs> and that gave us top hat in 1939 sandrich left rko for paramount because they gave him a chance to be a producer and a director mm. And he sadly died during pre-production for Blue Skies, the Holiday Inn sequel of a heart attack, and he was only 44. The cinematographer was David Abel, a Russian uh, cinematographer who came to the U.S. as a child. He was a favorite collaborator of Sandrich, and they worked on five Fred Astaire Ginger Rogers musicals, including Gay Divorcee, Top Hat, Follow the Fleet, Swing Time, and Shall We Dance? And I loved this. He fully retired in 1937, but Sandrich persuaded him to come back to be a cameraman for Holiday Inn in 1942. That's it. That's all I'm doing. Yeah. The writers were the same. Dwight Oliver Taylor and Alan Scott. They were Dwight. Dwight and Alan. Um, yeah, they both wrote, uh, well, Dwight Oliver Taylor wrote Gay Divorcee and then also wrote this. Alan Scott also wrote, like, Follow the Fleet, Swing Time, Shall We Dance, Carefree, as well as Roberta. Um, so, yeah, so they, they basically just worked together on, on putting this plot together. Now, the screenplay... So Fred Astaire did react negatively to the first couple of drafts, complaining that it is patterned too closely after the gay divorcee. So before this, it was even closer. Uh, Alan Scott was hired to help out Dwight Taylor to do rewrites um, and to sort of add a little bit more and change some of the plot points to make it a little bit more different than the gay divorcee. Um, (laughs) The story was uh, said to have been inspired by Scandal in Budapest and A Girl Who Dares. Uh, Now, the Hayes Code only insisted on a few changes, um, which 
uh, the biggest one was Bedini's motto, which is for the woman, the kiss, yes. for the man, the sword, which originally ran much worse than that for the men, the sword, for the woman, the whip. The whip. Wow. Hate that. Hate, hate cool. that. Cool. Yeah, that was, I, I like read that and was just like, I'm sorry. What? What? <laughs> um, now, Taylor recalled that um, making this movie with Sandrich and Berlin, it was, there was like a childlike excitement. Um, and whenever he left uh, a RKO a year later, uh, he was told, you will never again see so much of yourself on the screen. So it was like he felt like his contributions to this script were were more uh, like he was able to see himself on the screen. Anyway, so this... Um, this was composer Irving Berlin's first complete film score since 1930. So eight songs from the original score ended up being discarded because they felt like it didn't advance the film's plot. And fair enough, a lot of the hmm. songs, even though it was just like a lot of songs into dance number, I felt like the relationship between the characters had changed by the end of the dance number. And so it did feel like yeah. it advanced the plot. Um yeah, I think all the songs and dances move the plot yeah. forward. So they cut with the exception of the finale. Right. So they cut eight songs from the score in an effort to make sure that the songs that they were using were actually helpful. Um and it was said that this this success really helped restore Irving Berlin's self-confidence. Um Fred Astaire and Irving Berlin had never met before this film, but Fred Astaire had obviously danced to some of his music. And because of this film, they had a lifelong friendship and they ended up doing six films together. Um, and Fred Astaire wrote about, uh, and Berlin wrote about Astaire in his uh, memoir. He's a real inspiration for a writer. I'd have never written Top Hat without him. He makes you feel so secure. I did think it was funny. So apparently Irving Berlin could not read or write music. He could only pick out tunes on a mean? specially designed piano that transposed keys automatically, and he had an assistant to help him notate the music he had in his head, but he never actually oh. learned piano. Um, really? Yeah. That's crazy. I know. I thought that was an interesting fact. Um, so I talked about... Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers in um, The Gay Divorcee. So the person that I want to talk about a little bit this time is the guy who played Horace Hardwick. Because he, he ended up being a very kind of cool person and got kicked out of college three times, which I want to talk about as well. Um, so <laughs> Edward Everett Horton Jr. is an American character actor. So he started as a student at an Oberlin College in Ohio where he majored in German, but he was asked to leave after he climbed to the top of a building and after a crowd gathered, threw off a dummy, making them think that he had jumped. And the college said get the fuck out um yeah no more of that <laughs> then he went to the polytechnic institute in brooklyn for one year until the school discontinued his arts courses so then he moved to columbia until he got involved with the with um uh, vaudeville and after that quote to put it gently columbia and i came to an amicable parting of the ways they were just as glad to see me go as i was to get out <laughs> so he ended up um moving Incredible. into vaudeville and then he moved to um hollywood and he had his first starring role in uh 1922 um and he 
because he started in vaudeville, he was able to make the transition from silent pictures to talkies quite easily because he had already done all of this vocal work and knew how to project and knew how to um, enunciate. And so he was one of the mm. actors that made that transition very, very easily because of his stage background. Um, one of his... Uh, main things that people knew him for he had and we see it a lot in this movie he cultivated his own special variation of the double take which is you know an actor's reaction yes. followed by a delayed yes. stream reaction and in his version he smiles and like nods in agreement and then realization sets in and then it collapses completely into like a troubled panic. panic moment which happens all the time in which like his wife is like yeah go ahead and kill him he's like yes wait no like yeah, you're right he did do he that, does a, that lot. a lot but it, it was never distracting no, and it me. always made it, this sense. film was so like heightened. a character but yeah. he apparently this actor is known for that specific thing of just like like not really understanding and then the light bulb goes off and going wait no i resent that <laughs> like um, <laughs> so he starred in many comedy features in the 30s usually playing a mousy fellow who put up with domestic or professional problems to a certain point and then asserts himself for a happy ending so um he's best remembered for his character roles in supporting roles so uh front page uh gay divorcee alice in wonderland from the 30s um top hat uh holiday uh, Sex and the Single Girl, and then his last role was in the comedy film Cold Turkey in 1971. So this man who was working in Hollywood from 1922 to the 70s. Um, God bless him. God bless. Uh, he was so prolific that he sometimes found himself committed to two projects at the same time, and one project would be in progress while the second project would come up sooner than expected and force him to make other arrangements. He had, like, Buster Keaton had to take over for him in one of his Broadway shows once because he got an option to do, like, a Capra movie, and so there's, like, all of these times where he's just in such high demand. Um, he ended up passing in 1970, so his final film came out posthumously. Uh, he died of mm -hmm. cancer in 1970 at the age of 84, um, and for his contribution, he has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. So As he he's should. just like a really, really good character actor. And it's so funny because he popped up in this movie and I was like, I remember your face. I know you. Yeah. And he's just and he's so silly and such an, an, an easy comic relief and a good straight man of just things bounce off him to yes. make things funny. Yes, he is. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I agree with this thing that you said <laughs> uh, to talk about reviews and reception. Mm -hmm. This film did super fucking well. It opened at Radio City Music Hall on August 29th, 1935, and it set a record, it set a house record with grossing just under $135,000 its first week. I loved this. Uh, during that first, maybe during opening night or maybe during the first week, they had to, quote, deploy 25 policemen <laughs> to control the crowds. I thought that was such a silly, specific 25. fact. That's silly. Exact, no more, no less. It was RKO's most profitable film of the 30s. Mm -hmm. um, it ended up earning $3 million at the box office for the time. That is not adjusted for inflation. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, that would be $56 million. And the only other film to outgross it in the year it came out was Mutiny on the Bounty. Ooh, yeah. It, to pull some reviews, reviews were generally positive, mm -hmm. 
the Los Angeles Evening Herald Express. What a name for a newspaper. Wow. Praise the film. They said, Top Hat is the tops, with Fred Astaire dancing and singing Irvin, Irving Berlin tunes. One, in his right mind, couldn't ask for much more, unless, of course, it could be a couple of encores. The New York Times was a little more scathing. <laughs> it praised the film's musical numbers, but criticized the storyline, describing it as a little on the thin side, but also stating that it's sprightly enough to plug those inevitable gaps between the shimmeringly gay dances. Yes. Do you want to talk about some singing and dancing? Yeah, um, I mean... Dancing, how dare I have notes? No, how dare I have yeah. notes? Um, how dare I have notes? How dare anyone dance in this film other than Ginger Rogers and, and they Stare. don't. Um, so the dancing is spectacular. Um, like my homework is going to be cheek to cheek. It's so yeah. good. Um, and I mean, but the thing is, is that singing is not the thing that you go to see a Fred Astaire Ginger Rogers movie for. So honestly, I don't remember yeah. the vocals that much because they're not the highlight um no ginger sang i think once or twice fred sang a lot yeah. in this film actually yeah, he did. and it's to the point where i was like did fred astaire do his own singing yes. um yeah i i looked it up because i was like i don't remember you being this good yeah. and he is good but obviously the thing that he is best at is his dancing so like he's known while the for singing dancing. is good it it doesn't blow me away it's not like you know a what's his name uh howard keel's fucking baritone um yeah. yeah it doesn't blow me away but his dancing sure as fuck does and his singing is still incredibly good um yeah it, it, he carries it well absolutely dancing is the strength singing not bad wasn't so poor it was distracting no. but it also wasn't so incredible that i was like whoa <laughs> um gripes and giggles my gripe is that it's the and same plot of joy. um yeah you know the the giggles I'm, oh sorry what's your gripe no my, my yeah i just found it i can't decide if there was too much plot or not enough. well i think also this comes <laughs> under oh, i'm sorry the same... my gripe is that i my, my i'm sorry i take yeah. that back my gripe is that i greatly dislike when the plot is based off of a simple misunderstanding that's, that's what i was gonna say it's like it comes to the same thing that we both have the issue in with um with any like romance novels Fucking or anything everything. like that where yeah. it's just like if your plot hinges around the fact that people are not communicating to each other i'm not interested i'm sorry that's bad yeah. writing I'm Come sorry. Up with a better plot. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's it's like my least favorite thing. So yeah, that I'll I'll, I'll hop on that gripe too. Um, yeah. Giggles. There were a lot of really good one-liners. Um, yeah. And I'm gonna say that my giggle is the very much in the gazebo of just like, would you like to be rescued? And she's like, no, I'd rather stay in distress. Um, <laughs> I mean, this is this is gonna be an actually no, my my giggle is also the one liners, but specifically Bedini's one liners where uh, I'm rich, where I'm pretty, <laughs> I'm pr well, I'm rich and I'm pretty. What more do you want? <laughs> but no, it it was he had a lot of malapropisms yeah. that I'm I didn't quote any yeah. of. But the Adam and Eve bit, the, when da when Dale goes, I hate men, I hate you, I hate all men. He goes, well, I'm no man, I am Bedini. <laughs> Just <laughs> He's so genuine good, is, good the, is the thing that really made me. For sure. Yeah, really, really genuine. And which is why I think they were successful. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, moment of joy 
My moment of joy, honestly, this is a bit mm-hmm. um, unorthodox. My moment of joy was you and I fully stopping this podcast to discuss whether or not they, they, they actually fucked in a casino or not. Like what he made love to me actually meant. That's fuck any kind of moment of joy I had before. That's that's it. That's it for me. Let's deconstruct the likelihood that they fucked in in public in a gazebo. In a gazebo. <laughs> In a thunderstorm in a, thunder in a public storm park. With the horses watching. Um, <laughs> good. Same. I'll jump on that one. <laughs> You're gonna jump on that moment of joy? Amazing. You didn't have any you didn't have a other I mean, my one only I other moment of joy derailed. is is gonna be my homework, which is the cheek to cheek dance. It is just okay. so sweeping. Yeah. It it like it pulls your entire heart and soul with it, and it feels like your heart is being swept around the ballroom with them. I just, I love watching dance numbers that take up space. It it gives such joy. What about any fun facts? I have the whole story about the feathers. Okay, great. I have, so in a New York Times interview from 1977, Irving Berlin says that this film top hat was his favorite of the musical scores that he's written Mm -hmm. it was his favorite and he i have a quote that says he said he was 88 years old at the time he goes it's as favorite as i can get i love it and top hat white tie and tails is the best of the songs i wrote for the astaire films the mere and then the interview goes on to say the mere mention of mr astaire touched a soft spot mr berlin acknowledged and he speaks of the dancer as my closest and best friend I love that, and I also love him being like, yeah, that was a great song that I yeah, wrote. Yeah, <laughs> I did a great fucking job, and you're welcome. Um, yeah. So the feathers thing. So Ginger okay, Rogers' buckle up. dress buckle up, y'all. in that, in the cheek-to-cheek sequence in cheek to cheek. is covered in feathers, and there's this low-cut back. It is a stunning dress. Now, I think this dress is preserved. Oh, I'm, I'm sure double it check. is. I think it's in the Smithsonian. Yeah. If not another dress be. from this yeah. film. Um, so normally they had someone else who was in charge of dressing everyone for these sorts of movies. But for this routine, Ginger Rogers was determined to use this dress. Quote, I was determined to wear this dress come hell or high water. And why not? It moved beautifully. Obviously, no one in the cast or crew was willing to take sides, particularly not my side. This was oh, all right. Oh, I was wrong. No. Sorry, it's the dress she wore in the Piccolino number oh, that's boo, on that's display. Not as Bad choice. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt all good. you. Uh, she said, this was all right with me. I had stand- I had stood alone before. At least my mother was there to support me in the confrontation with the entire front office, plus, plus Fred and Mark Sandridge. So the issue was this dress... It took so long to put together because each these were ostrich feathers had to be sewn Mm -hmm. individually into the dress. Um, Now, Fred Astaire normally approved the gowns and might suggest like some minor modifications during rehearsals once they sort of got the dress moving within the dance itself. He saw the dress the Mm -hmm. first time on the day of the shoot and was horrified because whenever they did a spin, it was like a poof of feathers just like looped out of the dress. He recalled later, it was like a chicken attacked by a coyote. I never saw so many feathers in my life. He did lose his temper and he rose, like he raised his voice at Ginger Rogers who burst into tears, at which point her mother came charging at him like a rhinoceros. Um, So then that night they took the dress back and had a couple of seamstresses basically working on it all night to like re-secure 
more strongly all of the feathers, um, which did resolve most of the problem. However, whenever you look at the 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 final sequence, you can see some feathers still floating around and lying on the floor. So later at the end, Fred Astaire presented <laughs> Ginger Rogers with a gold feather for her charm bracelet and then ended up serenading her with a ditty that parodied the early the the tune, which was basically feathers. I hate feathers. I feathers. Ha- I hate them so that I can hardly speak. Whole deal. It's very silly. Um and then thereafter Fred Fred Astaire would nickname Ginger Rogers Feathers and has a whole chapter in his autobiography titled Feathers. Mm-hmm. And he also parodied this experience in a song and dance routine with Judy Garland in Easter Parade in 1948. So that is the, the scandal of the feathers that happened with this movie. I love oh, it. So good. Um, that's all she wrote. I think I that's think. all she wrote. So for top I've been hat. clear about my homework. Do you have any other ones or do you want to just jump on to the cheek to cheek? No, I'm going to jump on yours. Yeah. It was going to be watching one of their dance You don't numbers. need to watch this film. Nah. Watch cheek to cheek. Yeah. And wear some feathers. Yeah. Wear some, some feathers. feathers. Fuck Fred Astaire. <laughs> in a gazebo specifically. Specifically in a gazebo. Only in a gazebo. Is it permitted to fuck Fred Astaire? <laughs> He's actually the spirit that's been haunting that gazebo in that London park for a hundred years. <laughs> Good. Awesome. All right, let's get out of here. If you're still here, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Five Six Seven Eight, a movie musical podcast. I have been Anna. I'm still Grace. <laughs> Take care of yourselves and others, and we'll see you on the next one. Goodbye. Five Six Seven Eight. There's no business like show business like no business I know.